The AI Fundamentalists, a podcast about the fundamentals of safe and resilient modeling systems behind the AI that impacts our lives and our businesses. Here are your hosts, Andrew Clark and Sid Mungalik. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the AI Fundamentalists. I'm Susan Page. And together with Sid and Andrew, our fundamentalists, we're welcoming our first guest of the podcast, Christoph Molnar. He is the author of multiple easy-to-read data science books, such as The Modeling Mindsets, Interpretable Machine Learning, and his latest book, Introduction to Conformal Prediction with Python. He is also the curator of the Mindful Modeler newsletter, which you should subscribe to as soon as you listen to this episode. So. Welcome, Christoph. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, Christoph, uh, Sid here. So I think let's let's start off with something for the listeners, basically to ground them in the world that you come from. So when you think about AI and system modeling, how do you look at a high level at what AI systems and machine learning systems are? So I uh, very much prefer uh, the term machine learning, um, I would say. And at the fundamental level, I would say it's machine learning is about solving a task um, with the help of data. So you learn from data how to solve the task. If it's supervised machine learning, the task is usually prediction. Um, If you're in unsupervised machine learning, the task is then clustering and so on. But uh, yeah, that's, I think, my favorite definition that you solve, solve a task. Yeah, that's good. And then would you do anything to separate... And I'm going to, I'm leading on your book here a little bit. How would how would you separate machine learning from something more like classical statistical learning that was done in the old stats days? Yeah. So um, there you will like if you ask other people, you will uh, I think get many different answers. And my answer would be that there's quite a difference. So if you start with cl- classic statistical modeling, you approach uh, your you might even end up with the same model in the end, but you approach the problem or the task you're doing very differently from what I would call machine learning. So in uh, like classic statistical modeling, you start by thinking about the data, like how it was produced, think about the right, um, like what would be the right distribution to model the data, like think of all these, like the data generating process. And it's always very important to think about interpretability of the model, and if you're like a Bayesian, you might even think of like a Bayesian model and so on. Um, but with machine learning, you approach it kind of from the other direction. You, you, you first would define, okay, what would be, um, how would I evaluate my model performance in the end? And going, and this could be like a currency or something. And then going from that, um, you start kind of a contest between models, which one is the best model if you're in a supervised machine learning um, set up and then pick the model which just work best on your data given some constraints. Um, but I think, and, and you might end up with like, in both cases, with a linear regression model. But the reasoning with which you arrived at the model is very different. And like the assumptions that you put in and eventually also what you're allowed to do with the model differs between these two approaches. I think that's that's a great point. I really like that. And I think there's so much confusion in it right now in the space. People are like, what's statistical learning? What's machine learning? And everybody gets all kind of bent around the axle. Well, if you're using deep neural networks, that's machine learning versus if you're yeah. using linear regression, that's statistical learning. But I love how you just summarize it. And it's very much in line with your, your great uh, new book, The 
modeling um, mindsets is it's really the mindset of how you approach it. It's not, you even said you ended by saying you could both be linear regression, be statistical, or it can be machine learning. It's how you're approaching the problem, the mindset you're using, not the tooling. And I think that's very murky right now for a lot of people. I've seen statisticians argue that uh, machine learning is just statistics. And on a technical level, it might be true that, I mean, if you're like a trained statistician, you can quite easily understand many concepts in machine learning. But the way you approach a problem, like a real world task, is very different from these two, coming from these two mindsets. So my my personal background is like, I, I was trained as a like statistician, then later turned into more of a machine learner, like kind of self-taught and like Kaggle competitions and so on. And so I had for me this this kind of clash also of mindsets. And this is just very different ways how to approach modeling. And I really like that through line that you mentioned where you talk about how we can understand the performance of a model through interpreting it, right? Through interpreting and understanding the model, we can get some sense of how is it performing and what is it performing on? Um, And if we find that, you know, it's like single feature modeling, you know, then we're going to end up with a linear regression model, which, you know, would be like, oh, why are we doing the statistical learning mindset of, of solving this problem in a traditionally machine learning setting? Um, so so digging in on, on the interpreting machine learning piece a little bit then, what do you feel like has been like the most successful in helping people understand the performance of their models? Like what, what technologies are people actually using? What are, what can people really do today? Yeah, so there's there's different approaches for that. Uh, I would say there's like even two schools. Uh, and one is to say, which is a bit similar to the, like the statistical modeling, to say we just use interpretive models from the start. Uh, that's of course very restrictive. So you, um, and also very difficult to say what actually is an interpretable model. So it could could mean that you just use linear regression models, decision trees, and so on to solve your problem so that in the end, your your model, you can kind of still understand how it made predictions. Uh, But it's very restrictive. And if you do this optimization process of trying out different models, uh, your best model might not be in the set of uh, models that are interpretable. So there will be some trade-off because you're restricted to the model set you look at. the, The other approach is that you start with I'll go with uh, whatever model is the best for solving my task, which the best model for making predictions. And if you do that, you can still leverage uh, tools that make your model more interpretable. So there's like a whole range of tools now available. So one very famous one would be like SHAP, which is a method to explain individual predictions and which can also be combined across across the data to give you insights about the model overall, like the feature importance, how individual features affected your prediction, and so on. So there, there's many which are called model agnostic tools that you can apply to any models. And I think they, those are also the, like the most versatile and, and famous ones. And I think they naturally fit with this supervised machine learning mindset where you say, I don't know which model will make it out as a winner in the end of this process of uh, parameter tuning and model selection. So um, that so I would say these set the set of model agnostic methods is um, yeah good for interpretability. So that's really interesting, like the, the interpretability part. You know, can we switch gears just a little bit? 
Um, when you think about going beyond simple modeling um, and instead thinking about holistic AI since systems engineering, like what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so um, I think as a data scientist, it's it's easy to focus on modeling and it's the most fun part. And But you always have like a beginning, so there's a long, long... So if you do like a Kaggle competition, you only see this modeling part. And it's the fun part where you optimize your model. And um, But in fact, a lot of things already had to be decided beforehand. So if you see this like as a holistic process, there's like... Um, many questions it you have to have an answer before you even start modeling like what's your goal in modeling should you even is machine learning even the best approach to solve your problem maybe it is maybe it isn't maybe some manager just heard that deep learning is cool and wants you to solve this task with deep learning but it might not be the best approach and also the way you frame your problem like the thing that you want to predict for example uh makes or breaks your model so if you choose you could have the best model but if it answers the wrong question it will be a really bad model of of course and if you figure out together with the stakeholders what would be the best way to frame the problem how the model would be helpful in like in the overall picture then even like a mediocre model would outperform like the best model for the wrong question and also after like if you're done with modeling there's also like this long chain of things, then the model has to be deployed somewhere. The model might have to be monitored and um, the model might, um, there might be a distribution shift and you have to account for that somehow. Uh, you might have to lo look out for like, not, not only predictive performance, but other factors like latency, how fast is your model and so on. So I think it's, well, easy to get lost in the fun parts of modeling. Yeah, I think we definitely feel as data scientists where we're, we're so excited to find the model, tune the model, get these high parameters set. And then we have a notebook at the end and then we say, okay, engineering team, do the rest of the work. Yeah. And and we get lost in, in this in the systems engineering piece, which is basically making models available and usable to people. Um, so I, I guess, you know, let's say you're at the end of the day and you have your machine learning system and you've deployed it and you're, you're generally happy with it. Um, but now a regulator comes to you and says, this is great. Can you explain to me how this model works? How can we, using the techniques in systems, using the techniques in interpretable ML, create a system that we can explain to stakeholders that are non-technical? Like they might struggle to look at a SHAP graph and understand that. Yeah. So how can we do that interpret at the non-technical level? Yeah, I think that's... Um, so for a few months, I worked actually at a like a, a company at the regulatory space. Um, then I figured out I wanted to write books. So this was a really short stay only. Um, and what I found out is that uh, it's still, so this was for medical devices and they had a, like the regulatory parts were still like lagging far behind. So it is still like trying to figure out what should be reported, how should we report it. And my impression was also that interpretability was just like a smaller part of it. So and there's a lot of like documentation, like what data did you use and how did you use it? Um, can you show that your model um, um, is the best performing one and, and stuff like this? Um, so I also would make a distinction between like um, this, this audit scenario that like when a regulator comes in and also like different stakeholders. So even for those two 
they might be both non-technical, but even for those two, you already need different uh, interpretability of your model. So if you have like a interpretability in terms of someone has to use your model, then you need uh, ways to make your model uh, predictions like explainable so that they can act on the prediction. Whereas a regulator might want to like see more like feature importance and stuff like this, like more overall uh, information about your model. Yeah, that's that's a great point. One of the things we've really noticed is for those in non-technical users, it's really reproducibility is one of the key parts when they're saying explainability. Reproducibility is a big part of like, hey, if I take a a, a a cohort of of users across, say, this medical device. You might have people of different age age ranges and maybe different medical backgrounds. I'm I don't know specifically your company. I'm just generalizing here. Um, so let's let's take two users from each of these demographics and let's run them through this this tool, the system, from the very top level down to the bottom, and see does that make sense? Is that performing as expected? Do we see any any differences based on on factors that shouldn't be causing a difference? Um, where even I've even seen with some of the times feature importance kind of throws people and stuff specifically like, is this local? Is this global? All that kind of stuff. But really that reproducibility of can I understand how A got to B is sometimes solving it even more. So maybe that is kind of the, yeah, it's interesting because it, saying explainability to a data scientist versus like a regulator is two very different, different areas. Yeah, I think I would say it's like completely different like use cases because as a developer, you, you can use like, interpretability to to debug your model, to communicate with your boss, telling, uh, like, ha having some more means to talk about the model as well. Like, not just saying, hey, that's the performance, but look, here are the most important factors. So it's it's it kind of, like, uh, removes the distance between the data and, uh, and, and the data scientist, kind of, because, like, with interpretability, you get these insights into the model. So you can also yeah make make decisions like whether to use the model or not and others can make a decision whether to trust the model or not and so on which is also an interesting point of oftentimes i see interpretability kind of build is like oh this makes everybody understand your model i think you just hit it there too of like shap and and, and some of these really help as a developer to build a better model but it's not this panacea of oh i just plug it in and now everybody knows what i'm talking about like i love that how you highlighted the difference yeah so, yeah, I, I would say the model is all like these interpretability tools, they're all just descriptors of your model. So they just show you some insights, but they never like fully show you what the model does, because then you might not need machine learning if it's that easy. One thing I want to talk about with you guys, um, when we were, when we, the fundamentalists, were reading your latest book, um, The Introduction to Conformal Prediction with Python. Um, we were really intrigued by an idea that you mentioned in the book. I'm going to read it for you just so we get you on the yep. same page. <laughs> okay. Um, the passage goes, the uncertainty quantification can improve fraud detection in insurance claims by providing context to case workers evaluating potentially fraudulent claims. This is especially important when a machine learning model used to detect fraud is uncertain in its predictions. In such cases, the caseworkers can use the uncertainty estimates to prioritize the review of the claim and intervene if necessary. What roadblocks do you foresee with conformal prediction being used in industry? Yeah, so this was a hypothetical case, um, but I think that um, conformal prediction 
it's a bit like this model agnostic interpretability, which you can do like after you did your model, so you don't have to integrate it like in a complex way. So in that sense, I think it's quite easy to deploy actually. So because it's like a post hoc method that you just can add on to your machine learning model. So that doesn't come at the cost of like switching out your entire stack or anything. And my impression was that it's just not that known yet. Um, so many, there, there's a growing interest in, in conformal prediction. And the book was the, a way for me because I just discovered the topic and this was a way for me as well to learn to learn about conformal prediction. And I was quite surprised that it's not more popular. Yeah, maybe it's it can seem a bit arcane like the topic and that was one of motivation for me to write a book because there's, um, I, I think the, the concept to apply it is actually quite easy. The math behind it is not necessarily easy in this. It kind of lives most still a lot in the scientific space. And with the book, I tried to pull it more like on the side of application as well. So I think it just hasn't made that leap yet, and it's just about to make it, kind of. Yeah, I, I thought it was a fantastic book. I highly recommend everybody go and read it. And I think we will see an uptick more. But that's one of the things that's been interesting in data science versus other professions is there's often just kind of a bandwagon effect of what's Netflix doing. Sometimes it seems this modeling and things. I know you're smart. This is this is audio, but I, I uh, Christoph is smiling when I said that. Versus like, what is the actual best technique for a job or or taking that next step deep? A lot of data science is very computational, computer sciencey based. Versus taking that modeling approach and some of these other things. Conformal is new, but variations on this and control theory and aerospace engineering. There's a lot of techniques that have been around a long time and are being used in these other fields that they're being rediscovered, you know, in, in computer science sometimes. And it's, it's really that mindset difference of like, how can we actually quantify our problem or get confidence intervals or actually understand what we're doing versus just like, let's just throw a bunch of data at it and optimize it. I think a lot of it comes down to that mindset of a lot of practicing data scientists are in the ML mindset versus like, let me actually model and understand that model is a subset of reality. And how do I best quantify that? Yeah. I would say also machine learning, if you like, do bare bones machine learning it's pretty yeah dump kind of because you just get like a it's just like dump optimization in a way um but there's these all these tools that you can like build on top of your machine learning model and also some you have to kind of integrate into your modeling process like putting in domain knowledge and stuff like this but also adding interpretability after or things like conformal prediction so you can en enrich your your model in the end so and and i think it just takes some time to accumulate all these tools kind of and to to reach a state where we don't just throw like a neural network on our problem, but have all these add-ons that make the machine learning model just much more rich, like with interpretation and and, and uncertainty quantification and all these things. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on, right? It, it's like, you know, the machine learning industry is always catching up with all these practices, right? With, with the best practices, with the interpretability, with the understanding of the model, with quantifying the uncertainty in their models. Um, we're, we're always modeling first and then figuring out how to fix it later. Yeah, a little bit maybe. That's also, again, this, uh, it's fun to model things too. It's fun to have this this modeling process where you have the pipeline and and the benchmarking where you compare models and, and this kind of challenge to uh, increase model performance with, feature engineering maybe, or finding a better neural network architecture. 
but integrating it and then all these things around um, can take a lot of time and you have to gain that knowledge like you have to learn about confirmed prediction before you can use it of course so with a lot of these techniques you know we already fight with you know business holders a little bit to be like oh we have you know a training set of 5000 you know test train split is already a hard sell and then you know it's like can we have a calibration set can we have an extra evaluation set um that's that's a struggle that we often have to fight a lot to basically say like you know business buy in we need to reserve some data for these for these use cases um is there a use case for something like synthetic data to try and fill in these gaps well, that really depends on the problem, I would say. I mean, if you have a good grasp on how to generate the synthetic data, that it looks somewhat similar to what you would expect. But that that's a real challenge. I, I think many settings are not structured in this way. It's Even if you have the perfect data, then you still have data drift, for example, distribution shifts. And synthesizing data or simulating data is a challenge in itself. So I, I come from academia where you often simulate data for simple simple things to show that some method doesn't work in some edge case. And that comes already with so many things to decide how to simulate the data. So synthetic data, it's difficult to do, I would say. Yeah, it, it definitely has posed a big problem for us to work with and, and really assure that we're happy with the data, right? That it fits all the bounds, that it fits all the expectations and that it matches the interactions of the original data. I guess I, just, I want to close in one question, which is, you know, back to your back to your first book, which which we love, um, and I think this is just good for the for the listeners. Um, one thing you talk about is basically how we can open our minds and hearts to new types of modeling, and take different mindsets and uh, approaching these problems. So, you know, maybe can you give an example of how, like, someone who's currently entrenched in the machine learning world, how they can learn from a more frequentist approach from a more causal modeling approach, from a more Bayesian approach, and really improve their modeling? Yeah. The, the problem is that it's difficult to, to know in depth about these other mindsets because they use different language. There's like some barrier to entry. That's, that's kind of why I wrote modeling mindsets to have like a really short introduction to each of these mindsets. Um, but I, I would say that there's many different things you can do. So you could, well, you could read my book, obviously, but you could also maybe do an online course on causal inference just to get a little bit of input, how, how you would think if you want to do more causal learning or try to read a book in frequentist inference or go to a meetup where like Bayesians meet. Uh, these, these things are not easy because there's often like this language barrier and and a different way to think. So that, that, that was also for me like the difficult entry point as uh, always. So when I learned about statistics and then I uh, did my first, I completed my first Kaggle challenge, I failed miserably because I didn't understand the mindset of that you have to evaluate your models and that you have to benchmark different models and so on because I just modeled like a simple statistical model so this process, I think it just takes time. And, and the best thing is that you have, if you have an overview of what's out there and if you realize that you're hitting some kind of barrier, then some limitation with your mindset, with your approach, that you at least know where to look. 
And Krista, I took Andrew's advice from our earlier discussion and I read them on, I try to skim through the modeling mindset. I totally appreciated the scenarios you set up when a Bayesian walks into a bar um, mm-hmm. to really illustrate your points about the different, you know, you know, what happens in the premises of the different modeling mindsets. But it also reminded me that like when we're, when I think about interviews in even business in a social context as well as modeling, you were kind of going there with it is, you know, I like the interviews that are very intentional about like simplifying, you know, two different paradigms where research can be super deep, but then starting to simplify it to a place that two contexts can align. And that sounds like what you were saying in your two different, in the mindsets that you were illustrating in that book. Um, So I thought that was very for this topic of like, you know, how can we train our mindset and figure out what we want to, what's the purpose of the model before we go into it? I thought that was very intriguing. And I would, you know, highly encourage that book too, for anybody who's trying to start with that. Thank you for the positive feedback. Good. Yeah. The, my long way of saying good enough for the lay person who did like a hot semester in linear regression. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my goal was to keep out like math and and details and just focus on the high level view, which even if you're deep into the math and the methods is sometimes hard to see, right? So when I wrote the book, I kind of, it was things that I already know, but like the frequentist mindset, I just realized, for example, how how weird it is to interpret a um, confidence intervals and, and stuff like this. So you get also reminded of, Ah, yeah, so I kind of accept all these assumptions when I model in this in a certain way, in a certain mindset. Absolutely. Well, Christoph, on behalf of me, Sid, and Andrew, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Um, any final thoughts before we close out? Uh, I just can say that I am... Um, was very happy that you had me on the podcast and was a lot lot of fun talking about um, my books and all the questions you had. So thanks for having me. Sure. And for our listeners, you know, please check out Introduction to Conformal Prediction with Python by Christoph Molnar. We also mentioned the modeling mindset here for anybody who is really trying to get a basic foundational understanding and has some uh, data or computational background. Uh, and wants to start at the beginning, I highly suggest that. And also subscribe to his newsletter. And for us, subscribe to our podcast for more conversations like this. 